Hello and welcome to Wagawheel Coffee Table. It's a film podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table podcast. I'm your host Ellis, this is episode 23 of the show. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since the last one. Um, today we are going to be doing a Hayao Miyazaki ranking. So we're going to do all his 11 films, um, all his direct- the films that he's directed. We're not going to be doing uh, the films he's written uh, or, or just been involved in in some way. Um, just we're going to be ones that he's directed um before we get into that i think i was was trying to figure out um because usually at the beginning of each episode i like to go through films that i've watched recently or just thoughts about films i've had in the last however however long it's been between the last episode um so i think the last film i watched um when i did the last recording was asteroid city i think i spoke about that in the last episode um so since then i've watched the new indiana jones film um this I actually quite enjoyed it. Oh, before I get started, actually, I should say I made the stupid decision of running my dishwasher um, just before I started recording. I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll fill the dishwasher, you know, at least that'll be done, and that, that's a chore I don't have to do later on. Um, and then now I've realised I wanted to record an episode, and now I've turned the dishwasher on. So hopefully it's not going to be too annoying. There might be some background music. Background music? Background noise. Um... But hopefully it won't be too distracting. Um, it does make some weird noise. It's, made, it's been really loud at the minute, so I hope you can't hear that. I'm just going to keep on talking. So that is so my voice is the main sound. Um, wow, that is loud. Okay, yeah, so I watched um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, I'm a big fan of the Indiana Jones films. Um, Raiders was one of my favourite films for a long time. Um, I rewatched Temple of Doom um, before watching this, just because I just felt like watching Temple of Doom. Um, wildly problematic and quite racist, but you know it's a fun time. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that. Um, and then obviously the Last Crusade is possibly the best one. I think it's probably the one I've watched the least, um, but it's re- the really consistent uh, trilogy. And then obviously the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which you know when I was younger I had a lot of fun with. I remember watching. I think that's probably the first one I watched. Maybe um, you know I liked it when I was younger. It's obviously not. I haven't seen it in a long time and. There's a lot of scenes in it that you watch now, and it's like, oh, God. Yeah, okay, he's swinging with those monkeys. Okay, interesting. I think I had a lot of fun with this, just because it was good to be back in the world of Indiana Jones. Um, I really liked the opening scenes. The CGI young Harrison Ford wasn't that distracting, um, because I was kind of expecting it. I, w- I just kind of um, just let my, just let it wash over me I suppose or not really think about it too much I was able to switch my brain off there are a couple of points where it's very clear that it's CGI um, or like fake young Indiana Jones which is impossible to avoid but the scenes where he's like running on top of a train and yeah it just looks like a little ragdoll being running across running across a train um, but in terms of the rest of the film it's obviously not an amazing film um, but I thought there were some really good moments in it um, it's strange. It's very clearly an eighty-year-old man running around. Um, it does. He does look very lackluster. And sometimes the film, I think, what the film wanted to do was kind of um, show and not shy away from the fact he's old. I think Harrison Ford. I heard him speak about that. That he wanted to showcase, you know, and not hide away that from the fact that he is an eighty-year-old man in this Indiana Jones film. Um, and I think they did that sometimes like making comments on how his back's hurting or all these kinds of things but there are some points where he's like running around and stuff and he just looks really just slow and a bit awkward um which i guess is understandable but the film is trying to make him move like a younger person i think um and feed waller bridge actually has a similar thing like they both look pretty awkward like running around and stuff they don't look that athletic but it's not that much of a problem i didn't have that much of a problem with that um the ending i think has been a bit hit and miss with people I th- when the ending was happening I did kind of roll my eyes a little bit um, but I think in, on reflection I've grown to actually quite like the ending well what I mean by the ending is like the final act um, spoilers when they go back in time um, 
when I was in the theatre, I just kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. But I think on retrospect, I actually quite like it. Um, the fact that Indiana Jones gets to go back to the to a time that he's that he's been excavating and exploring and grave robbing for for his whole life, um, and him kind of saying, you know what, I'm I'm happy to die here. I want to stay here. I think I like it. <laughs> I think I like it. When I think about it, the more I think about it, the more I like it, which is a good thing. Because often with these kinds of films, with like action films or like adventure films, often I'll watch it and be really interested in what's happening and then get home and think about it for the next couple of days and think, oh, actually, that wasn't very good. Whereas this film kind of has grown on me a little bit um, since watching it. Um, so yeah, which is a very positive thing. But yeah, it's, 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 Digestion is an enjoyable film. Um, probably not for everyone um i just i'm not sure i was listening to the weekly planet podcast and they were talking about why the dial of destiny is flopping and obviously it costs so much money this film but i don't think many people care about indiana jones um especially young people um it doesn't have the same sort of like like disney own it so they could have had a big Disney Plus release. I know they did, but didn't really push it. Um, and also, I think they should... Oh, this is what they were talking about in the Weekly Planet, but they should do more, like, comics and do more video games and do more TV shows, maybe. Not, like, full $10 million episode, an episode TV shows. Or That's probably a bit cheap, actually. Um, but, like, animated TV shows, kids' shows... Um, like maybe like an anthology series of just like the adventures of Indiana Jones as a younger man or whatever, just like animated shows. They should just do more things to get it into, or they should have done more things just to get it into like the the general, like the, what's the word? The zeitgeist? That's an annoying word to use, but do more things to get it in the public's minds before releasing this film. And it's a bit late because those kind of things take decades to kind of build, but... I just don't feel like people cared about Indiana Jones, um, but you know it's done now. We're probably not going to get another one. We're definitely not with Harrison Ford. I don't think. Um, what else have I watched? Oh yeah, I watched a couple of really good films after that. Actually, I, I, I watched um, Yee Yee for the first time. Um, this a film, the two thousand film, directed by who directed this film? Directed by Edward Yang. Um, so it's the story of a uh, Taipei, yeah, Taipei. So a family in Taipei who are just—it's kind of like things happen to them, their life and what's going on. And I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. It's maybe the one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, it doesn't—it's not going to be like in my favorites, like in my top five favorites, but it's definitely probably my top five films I've ever seen. Like it's honestly one of the most perfect films I've ever seen the shots in that film i've been really i've been trying to i've been finding it hard to articulate to myself how much i liked it and what i liked about it but edward yang and his cinematographer and everyone have these beautiful shots of reflections so often they'll shoot a character through a window um and kind of the distortion and the opaqueness and the rain that's often on the on the glass kind of distorts it a little bit or the reflections distort it and you can't really see them properly and it's just so beautiful honestly every shot in that film is beautiful and then the ending maybe the best ending i've ever seen it broke me because i was really really enjoying the film really invested in all the characters and then the ending happens and it just honestly it breaks your heart um spoilers for a film that's been out for 23 years but the ending is basically so at the beginning of the film, the or towards the beginning of the film, the grandmother of the family um, goes into a coma, and at the end of the film, she dies. the The funeral is right at the end of the film. It's the final like scenes are at the funeral, and the smallest child of the family. He writes and performs a speech, and it's beautiful. It's honestly beautiful, and it. I cried. <laughs> like I, I don't really. Well, I sort of cried. I don't really cry at films. I'll, I'll I probably, like, get a lump in my throat at eighty percent of the films I watch, 
just because I never like full on weep really. There's only been a couple of films where I've done that for, um, but this one was very close and like real tears, real tears. Um, yeah, it's just phenomenal, really good. Um, one, of, yeah, it's, like I said before, one of the best films I've ever seen. Highly recommend it. I mean, it's a very highly rated film anyway, so people already know that that it's good and they should watch it. But if you're looking for my personal recommendation. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best films I've ever seen. And yeah, just incredible. A masterpiece. Definitely a masterpiece. Um, I also watched Blackberry. Um, I don't know why I decided to watch this. I just, one night, just decided to watch Blackberry. Obviously, starring Glenn Howerton. I'd heard a lot about his performance. I'm a big fan. Always a big, um, always sunny fan. Listen to their podcast. Um, obviously, watched their TV show. And they were talking about Blackberry on the podcast. And I thought, you know what? I should watch this. Um, I need to watch, I need to get around to watching Fool's Paradise, um, but obviously this is a little bit more highly rated than Fool's Paradise, um, so I just decided to watch this, and I was really interested to see Glenn Howardson's performance, because there's been a bit of Oscar buzz about him, um, which is interesting, you don't often get Oscar buzz about a film that comes so much, so, like, before, so long before the actual Oscars, but, you know, he's excellent in it, it's, really really good film um the direction's really interesting um he seems like an interesting guy i added a few of his um the director's uh films to my watch list just because i'd like to see what else this guy does but yeah really phenomenal performance by glenn howerton it's it's i know this is very like a typical always sunny philadelphia fan thing to say but he needs recognition like this guy has been acting his ass off in always sunny for 20 years 15 years and for him to finally get some recognition uh and to get the opportunity more importantly to like act in a film like this i i don't know i just appreciate that um yeah it's a really interesting story um it's interesting because blackberries were really popular in my school when i was like god what year would it be 2013 14 so it's interesting to know what was going on because we didn't know what was going on with Blackberry the company at that time so it's interesting to know what's going on uh, what was going on and the bad decisions that were made and the shortcuts that were made and the ending's really powerful actually as well um another great ending um yeah really top film Sp- oh my god I, I didn't even do this on purpose but speaking of top things I watched Top Gun as well and it's not very good I don't have anything really else to say. It's just not a very good film. It takes its... I don't know. There's a couple of things that redeem it. One thing is, if it's... If it's taking itself seriously, then it's a bad film. The second thing is, if it's um, about homosexuality, then it's actually a pretty good film. (laughs) Like, if you view it in that lens, it's actually really good and really interesting film. So I, I kind of want to rewatch it and look at it going into it like that because I was reading a lot of reviews and a lot of like opinions about it online. Like if you look at it like this, it completely changes the uh, the thing. And there's a really interesting. I found something that Tarantino said about it, and he basically goes, I think he said it in. I think a character of his says it in a film. Um, I kind of want to read the the thing out, but it's a long thing to read out. But I'm going to read it out anyway. So this is. Um, a Quentin Tarantino character from Sleep With Me and it's basically a monologue um, and I just want to read it out because I think it's really interesting so the character says this is Sid in Sleep With Me he says Top Gun is fucking great what is Top Gun? you think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots it's a story about a man's struggle with his own his own sexuality Ho- sorry his own homosexuality it is this is what Top Gun is about man you got Maverick alright he's on the edge man he's right on the fucking line alright you got Iceman on all his crew they're gay they represent the gay man alright they say go go they say go the gay way go the gay way he could go both ways Carrie McGillish she's heterosexuality she's saying no 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 go the normal way play by the rules go the normal way they're saying no go the gay way go the gay way go the gay way alright that's what's going through the whole movie he goes to a house, alright, it looks like they're going to have sex, you know, you're just kind of sitting back, he's taking a shower and everything, they don't have sex, he gets on the motorcycle, he drives away, she's like, what the fuck, what the fuck is going on here, next scene, next scene you see her, she's in the 
elevator. She's dressed like a guy. She's got a cap on. She's got the aviator glasses. She's wearing the same jacket as the Iceman wears. She's okay. This is how I got got to get this guy's attention. This guy's going towards the gateway. I got to bring him back. I got to bring him back from the gateway. So I'll do that through subterfuge. I'm going to dress like a man. All right. This is how she approaches it. But the real ending of the movie is when they fight the MI the the MIG. Sorry, when they fight the MIGs at the end. All right, because he passes. He passed over into the gateway. There are all these gay fighter. They are this gay f- fighting fucking force, alright? And they're beating Russians. The gays are beating the Russians, and it's over, and they're fucking lands. The Iceman's been trying to get Maverick the entire time, and finally he's got him, alright? And what is the last line they say they have together? They're all hugging and kissing and happy with each other. And Iceman comes up to Maverick and says, Man, you can ride my tail anytime. And what does Maverick say? You can ride mine. Sword fight, sword fight. A fucking man. Fucking a man. I don't know if that made any sense. I think I read it quite quickly, but obviously Tarantino's character uses some choice language and some um, interesting ways of putting his viewpoint across, but I think it's an interesting um, way to view Top Gun, and I think it makes it a much more interesting film because it is very not a good film if you don't view it like that, I think. Um, And I'm going to watch Maverick soon, I think. Top Gun Maverick. I think I should watch it because apparently that's excellent. So we'll see how that goes. So today, as I said before, we are doing a Hayao Miyazaki ranking. This has been very difficult to put in the order. Um, I had a list on Letterboxd that I made a few years ago about the order I wanted it, but I changed it around so much in the preparation for this episode. Um, But anyway, so there's 11 films. We'll go from 11 to number one, obviously. Um, The first, so in 11th place, uh, we have Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro. this is the only film before recording this episode I hadn't seen. Um, so I watched it a couple of days ago. So obviously, so I'll, let me go, let me like do a proper structure here. So released in 1979, a dashing thief, his gang of desperados and an intrepid cop struggle to free a princess from an evil count. And then the secret of a treasure that she holds part of the key to. Um, so the thing, this is obviously Miyazaki's first direct, this is his directorial debut. Um, you definitely see uh, some aspects of his work in this film, sort of the beautiful landscapes and little human um, specifics that he throws into his films, like the way certain characters walk or talk or act. Um, but obviously this is like a, an existing IP. Lupin the Third is an existing... I think it was, a, it was a manga animated series. It has live action films. It has video games. Um, I don't know how many... I think it definitely had a manga and maybe an animated series by the time Miyazaki got around to doing his film. Definitely a manga. I don't know if it had the animated series. So obviously a lot of the style comes from that, but you could definitely see the Miyazaki little twist to it. Because you see also a lot of like the mechanical like plane designs that he uses in his films. Um, obviously that'll come up a lot when I'm talking about his films, but it's I I don't really know a lot about looping the third manga and all that sort of stuff, so I don't know if that sort of stuff was in the manga and he kind of borrowed from it, or if he introduced that kind of thing. Because um, it's kind of like Inspector Gadget meets James Bond, so I assume the manga is kind of like that. Um, and then obviously the theme song is uh, very cool, um, which I assume is from I guess the an-, an animated series or it's like it seemed they used this theme song every time the c- main character did anything cool. So. Um, I assume the audience who know Lupin the Third recognise that and get get a bit of kick out of it. But yeah, this is it is at the bottom. It is still a very fun film and a very cool film actually. Um, but it is eleventh because um, it's not. It doesn't really feel Miyazaki. It doesn't feel, have the kind of the specialness of it. Next in tenth place, I actually don't know how people are going to feel about my ranking. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, in tenth place, we have Porco Rosso, released in 1992. You're introduced to an Italian war- World War One fighter ace now living as a freelance bounty hunter, chasing chasing air pirates in the Adriatic Sea. He has been given a curse that changes his head into that of a pig. Once called Marco Pago, he is now known to the world as Marco Rosso, Italian for the Red Pig. I watched this one a few years ago, and in preparation for this, I kind of watched a few recaps and a few, you know, video essays online, and a few read a few reviews just to kind of re-familiarize myself with it. Um, I do remember enjoying it, but I don't remember being too invested. This is probably like the least invested I was in a Miyazaki film, maybe. 
I don't know why. I can't remember why. I just don't really remember like being that, don't be, like caring that much about what was going on really. Um, it has obviously key themes that crop up a lot in Miyazaki's work about like anti-war and planes. Obviously, being a big part of it. Um, obviously, it's pretty anti-fascist. This film, like, while well, he comes out and says like, "I'd rather be a pig than a fascist" or whatever. So I think I think it's that line. It's a very iconic line. Um, so it has a lot of these like passionate. Uh, viewpoints that Miyazaki has in all his films um, and this one's very like outwardly like that and I appreciate that um, the sceneries are beautiful like the blues and greens and the colour palette you get in Miyazaki films are incredible and so impressive um, I feel like I'm using that word a lot when I was writing my notes I was using the word impressive I was using the word incredible a lot um, so bear with me I might say that a lot but the um, yeah the sceneries in this are, are great um the kind of the love story I don't, is it a love story the girl and Porco Rosso is is a bit of a weird like love thing but they're fun characters to watch like both are really interesting it's quite a funny film as well um, but it just like I'll speak about this more later on but often the love and the relationship aspect of Miyazaki films it's weakest um these are not to say they're bad, but I think oftentimes, and I actually read an interview where Miyazaki was saying that he doesn't like the trope where if there's a man and a woman in a film, they have to fall in love, like he's expected to fall in love. But I do feel like he falls into that sometimes. Um, I'm looking at you, Spirited Away. Um, next is Castle in the Sky, released in 1986. A young boy and a girl with a magic crystal must race against pirates and foreign agents in search of a legendary floating castle. Now, this could have easily been 10th, really. Um, I think Castle in the Sky and Porco Rosso are like on a similar level, but I think just the um, iconic shape and look of the castle um, kind of do it for me, and like that, and the image of the um, what's it called, like the robots um, in the uh, the robots in the castle, like the image of the robots, the image of the whole castle as a whole those are kind of quite iconic to me and quite um they uh i associate a lot of like miyazaki and the iconography of that with that so i think that just kind of pushes it a bit above um polka rosso um the pacifist like themes and um all that sort of stuff that you get with miyazaki films are rife in castle in the sky you know obviously you get um planes and aircraft as big motifs in all of his films with this one in particular with the boy um, and then the greens and blues again are incredible in Castle of the Sky. It's one of the prettier films um, that he's done. It's like the scenery when they get to the castle, when they get to Laputa. It's incredible. It's, it's it's so amazing. <laughs> and they said incredible again. I'm going to try and should get a thesaurus. Should get a thesaurus up actually. But in number eight we have Ponyo, released in 2008. A five-year-old boy develops a relationship with Ponyo, a young goldfish princess who longs to become a human after falling in love with him. I remember when I first watched Ponyo, the love story wasn't really the thing I kind of focused on, um, but like watching some reviews and reading some reviews, it's like a big part for people. Um, and I kind of rewatched some clips and some parts of the film, and it's a beautiful love story. Like two children, like you don't have to be old or you don't have to be a teenager to to fall in love, and it was quite it's quite a beautiful story. And <laughs> I remember it's a beautiful even if you view the relationship as like oh children can't fall in love it's still a beautiful relationship though their friendship is so powerful and so strong and saves the world um i remember because the environment and the sea and the weather it plays a huge part in ponyo and i remember the mum the mum's driving in the rain really stressing me out when i was watching ponyo i was like yeah I, this is a beautifully relaxing film but don't drive like that that's stressing me out um again you have huge themes of environmentalism um and kind of the the effect that humans are having on the oceans and or the weather and all that kind of thing and how you know the environment might take the earth back like they might they might overpower us and how would we cope with that um and you know the ending where everything's flooded and the water's so calm i i love that scene where they're traveling around on the on the little um boat that she makes um it just makes me smile thinking about it in seventh place we have kiki's delivery service 
technically released in 1989, a young witch on her mandatory year of independent life finds, if, finds fitting into a new community difficult when she supports herself by running an air courier service. This one, a lot people love this film, and I love it too. Um, like the stakes are so low, uh, nothing that much happens. Well, it does, but it's just this is the film that you want to be in the most. I think, like, you want to be in this film. Like, you're not watching it because it's incredibly. Uh, it's not. It's not like Spirited Away or um, Nausicaa or you know, or Mononoke is not like that way. It's incredibly uh, complex and deep with detail. Although obviously it is deep with detail, but it's not, it's very different to those films. This is just a film you want to be in. You will just want to be with this film, I think. You just want to sit and watch this film. It's just, like I, I wrote in my notes, it's an absolutely delightful hour and 45 minutes. It's, I, I was watching a review actually and someone said it's mundane fantasy and I thought that was really good positive review of it that might sound that might sound negative it's a really good positive review where it's like it's a girl doing like mundane jobs but there's a fantasy about it obviously she's a witch so that adds it to it but there's just a wonder and a love and a just a just a fucking great film (laughs) um that's obviously the cat Gigi is adorable um and you, you get a lot of the passion of air, about aircraft um, that you get in a lot of Miyazaki films with the with the the boy who's flying trying to fly planes and she has to save with a blimp at the end like the ending comes out of nowhere but you get also um, a key theme with Miyazaki is um, like industrialization uh, or like development like uh, mechanical development comparing it to tradition or more primitive primitive um, like ways of living so you have Kiki who comes from like the a very small village moving to the big city and there's there's blimps there's machinery there's all these kinds of things and she's having to navigate that and she loses her powers because of where she is or how lost she's feeling about not being being away from home and all that sort of stuff you know it's it's very re- relatable actually she's a very relatable character this is probably the most grounded and relatable story where it's about a teenager moving home and being thrust into adulthood and not really knowing how to deal with it but thinking that she can deal with it and being excited that you can deal with it. i mean those of us that have moved away from home for university or at all know that we go thinking that we're going to conquer the world or that we're going to excel in living alone and providing for ourselves but it's difficult and there's moments where you regret it, um, and moments where you need support from people. And I think this is just a really charming way of portraying that, and I think a very relatable way of portraying that. Like we're not, we're not witches, but we have, you know, skills that we want to use for good in the world. And sometimes when we move away and it doesn't work out or it gets difficult, a film like this is quite comforting. Um, yeah, honestly. Yeah, so the next one's Hell's, Mo- Hell Mo- Hell's Moving Castle. Um, I think a lot of people are actually going to be angry that it's this far down, but probably the next five. Actually, maybe Hell's Moving Castle being number six was, like, the most set on, and then the next five are, like, the ones that any of them could be anywhere. Um, so, yeah, Hell's, Hell's Moving Castle, released in 2004. When Sophie, a shy young woman, is cursed with an old body by a spiteful witch, her only chance of breaking the spell lies with the self-indulgent self-indulgent yet insecure young wizard and his companions in his legged walking castle this is an incredibly imaginative film you know the design of the castle is so iconic and impressive that silhouette of it the first shots of it coming over the hill and coming through the mist it's it's amazing um it's it kind of the world building in miyazaki's films is really impressive um, if it's something like Kiki's Delivery Service, it's impressive. But if it's something like this, it's even more impressive. Where you kind of get little hints about the war that's going on and Hal's life and Hal's insecurities and her life and the wider the wider society of this of this film. Um, and obviously, it's. I think I'm pretty sure Miyazaki confirmed this. Don't take that take that with a grain of salt but I'm pretty sure he did but it's, the film is a metaphor for the Iraq war so the king in Housemoving Castle is George Bush and it's kind of about the, the meanest, meaningless of war and the the, the fault of a few men uh, of course the lives of millions 
Um, and I've actually, yeah, I mean, there's not, I don't really know loads of detail about the Iraq War um, to go into to analyze that point, but I think it's really interesting that this was made in a reaction to the Iraq War and the anger that Miyazaki, as a pacifist and as someone who's strived for, has put put out art that is so anti-war and it's interesting um and that's all i'll say um but yeah you know the only reason why hell's moving castle isn't in the top five is just because the next five films are some of my favorite films of all time so i'm sorry hell's moving castle fans it's only sixth next um, I think this one was originally higher. I think in my original list that I made um, a couple of years ago, this one was like third or third. But then I I was kind of re-looking into the other films that are now above it, and I just had to put these above it. But anyway, the next film is The Wind Rises, released in two thousand thirteen. A lifelong love of flight inspires Japanese aviation engineer Jiro Horikoshi, whose storied career includes the creation of the A six World War Two fighter plane. This film is very different to a lot of other Miyazaki films. Um, there's not much of a fantastical element, but the story is one of his most powerful, and in particular the love story. Um, as I said earlier on when talking about Pocoroso, and I feel it in other films as well by uh, Miyazaki, the love story is often the aspect of the film that I'm not a huge fan of or like the, the one of the only points i have that i don't agree with but i really like it in the wind rises i think it's a beautiful love story and and i remember really uh attaching myself to it and really um enjoying watching the love story blossom and the heartbreak in parts of the story as well with it um obviously there's the the opening of this film or towards the beginning of the film is the the great kanto earthquake which happened in japan which I'm pretty sure, I don't know if Miyazaki was alive for it, or he was born soon after, but he kind of lived in a Japan that was still being affected by the, the earthquake. And the uh, the animation that they have, um, the, 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 how they show the earthquake in The Wind Rises is horrifying, um, but beautiful. Like, the the ground turns into, like, liquid, and the it like ripples and it's they show it in such an incredible way i've never seen an earthquake shown like that before it's so impressive obviously i'm doing this i sure should i'm doing this ranking because Miyazaki has a a film out now uh in japan it's not out in the uk yet we don't know when it's going to be out in the uk but i'm very excited for it um but obviously when the wind rises came out people thought that was his last one obviously 10 years ago now but people thought it was his last one but it wasn't, but when I was, I watched The Wind Rises thinking it was his last one. And I think it's kind of an amalgamation and a beautiful marriage of all the things that he holds dear and the themes that he wants to put across, such as war, aircraft, pacifism. I think this is maybe my favourite protagonist in any, or one of my favourite protagonists in any Ghibli film. You know, a pacifist whose passion is being used for war. That, what a basis for a character. I'm going to say it again, like a pacifist whose passion is being used for war. That's so beautiful. That's what a basis for a character. I think it's a real guy that um, Miyazaki based it on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so incredible. And obviously I said it's less fantastical than his other films, but you have these beautiful dreams that the main character has where he's on the top of an aircraft talking to his inspiration and so you get these little, you still get the little charm, fantastical charm of a Miyazaki film. Um, if you do want to know more about The Wind Rises in particular and Miyazaki in, in in real life, there is a film called The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is a documentary about Miyazaki while he was making The Wind Rises because they thought it was going to be his last one. And there's also a film called Ten Years with Hayao Miyazaki, which I think takes place while he's making Ponyo and The Wind Rises. Um, I think. 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki is like a mini-series. I found it online somewhere, but they're two really interesting documentaries. And you get a really good sense of who Miyazaki is as a person. Like, from by the looks of it, he's an incredible artist, very gentle, very um, caring. Uh, unless you're his son. 
if you're his son, he's very critical, um, and will tell you that. <laughs> okay, next in position four, position four in fourth position, we have Princess Mononoke, released in 1997. Ashitaka, a prince of a disappearing Amishi people, is cursed by a de demonized boar god and must journey to the west to find a cure. Along the way, he encounters San, a young woman fighting to protect the forest, and Lady Eboshi, who is trying to destroy it. Ashitaka must find a way to bring balance to this conflict. Before I started this ranking, or before I changed my original ranking I did a couple of years ago, this one was actually like fifth or sixth in the wrist. But how can it be? How can this film be that, that low down? It's so beautiful. The world building in this is awe-inspiring and obviously the action sequence is incredible the end is incredible the f the opening is incredible like that opening sequence of him running away from the boar is so impressive obviously you have key themes that Miyazaki likes to involve in his films such as industrialization and nature versus machinery and resources how we're meant to use the resources and that's kind of shown a lot through an one of the best antagonists in any film ever and is it Lady Lady Eboshi? Yeah, like she's genuinely helping people. Like she's taking in lepers, she's rescuing women from slavery. She's helping people. She's 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 being a positive impact on all these people' life, people's lives. Like the society that she's building is a positive one. It's a, a a thriving one, but at the same time, she's cutting down trees. She's destroying the rainforest, and it's such a a balanced view of society, like a balanced view of industrialization where, you know, our our quality of life has improved since we've, you know, erected cities and used our resources in the world. Like, you know, driving a car is easier than walking. Like you get things you get places quicker. That's like a rubbish example, but you get what I'm trying to say. But there's a point where you go, what's too much? what is too much what we're taking too much from this earth and you know she 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 wants to you know the antagonist lady but she has a want to take over the world but she wants to take over or the country i guess she wants to do that to stop the fighting and save humans like that's her goal to save humans stop fighting but yet in order to do that she has to sac she decides to sacrifice trees and nature and it's an interesting conflict to have. Like, obviously, you have Princess Mononoke or San, the young girl, who is the representation of, no, this needs to stop. But then you're also like, well, the quality of life of these people is amazing. She's saving people. And then the Ashitaka, the main character, is in the middle. He just wants everyone to stop fighting. He doesn't know how he wants them to stop fighting, but he just wants them to stop fighting. So, yeah, it's a very impressive film. And... It's, it could easily be my favourite, Miyazaki. But just today, when I'm doing the ranking, it's fourth. Um, let's move on to the next one. Nausicaa in the Valley of the Valley of the Wind, released in 1984. I, I'm not going to speak too much about this one because I spoke about it in my underrated films episode. Um, so if you don't listen to it, it's episode episode 19. I released it um, a month and a half ago, something like that, a couple of months ago. No, a couple of, over, over two months ago, and... I'm not going to say too much now because I've already spoken about it a lot, so please go and listen to that episode. It's it's earlier on in the episode. You don't even have to listen to the whole thing, but I've got a huge soft, soft spot for this one. I think because it's it's not it's not underrated. Well, it is underrated because people... I appreciate this film on the same level as Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, all these films. I don't think many people do, and I don't think many people have seen it, maybe? I don't know. Um, I'm not trying to act like my opinion on this is correct but I just think it should be appreciated in the same way that his other films are um, and yeah it's got great funky music M Miyazaki like slapped so hard <laughs> that's a weird way of saying it but like the beauty that he shows and the themes that are shown in this um, you know are ones that he's spoken about he's written about and directed about a lot in his films but it's one of the best ways that he's done that um and one of the most powerful ways that he's done that um but if you want more views about it go back and listen to that episode okay so in second place nearly done is spirited away 
Released in 2001, a young girl, Shihiro, becomes trapped in a new strange world of spirits. When her parents undergo a mysterious transformation, she must call upon the courage she never knew she had to free her family. I think I've spoken a bit about this before, that I didn't really get this film the first time I watched it. It's, it kind of, yeah, I just didn't really understand it. There was a lot going on, I didn't really get it. Um, but it's probably his best film, um, in terms of just, like, sheer quality and, uh, it's kind of like I was talking about Yee earlier, like, Yee isn't my favourite film, but it's one of the best films I've seen. And I think Spirited Away is probably Miyazaki's best film. It's not my favourite, because it's not number one. You probably guessed, you figured out what number one is now, but it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's a clear masterpiece. It's perfect. Um, obviously, I've spoken about how the love story doesn't really grab me in the same way, but for some people it does. Some people really like it. The, obviously, there's the iconic train scene. I change, like Doing this podcast, I changed my background to a, a screen grab of the train scene. Um, it's I can't the thing is about the train scene you don't really understand why it's so relaxing but yet you're being challenged at the same time you're trying to figure out what's happening who are these people on the train why are they shadows what's your hero thinking about she's just gone through all this and what's she thinking about but yet it's still so relaxing because of the music Munich and music and the scenery and the the kind of the direction of the plane is very clear we're going somewhere whereas before in spirited away she's not she's although she has a mission to get her parents back everything's all over the place she's having to work in the bathhouse all these things are happening but there's now direction she's on the train and she's going somewhere it's 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 incredible um i do want to talk about a bit with this and the next film that miyazaki's kind of study of people in particular children is so like impressive and inspiring because he he seems to be a person that understands how people act and has studied how he has people have act in such like a deep and thoughtful way and i think as a aspiring filmmaker anyone out there it's very inspiring to see someone give characters certain moments um i can't remember what the phrase for it is but there's a japanese um word that means like I don't know if it's moments in between moments or like it's moments that don't really matter. It's like moments that don't move the move the story forward. So that's how people use it in a film context. You can use it in different contexts, but in the film context, it's like little moments in films that don't really matter. They're not moving the story forward. They're not really doing anything for the plot, but they're there to give the character more depth. There because that's what the character would do in that scenario. Like there's the famous thing that people have analysed about when Chihiro puts her shoes on. She puts them on, struggles a little bit, and then taps her foot. She taps her foot on, on the toe to kind of put her foot more firmly into the shoe. That's little character moments. Little things that people do when they put their shoes on. It's just... It's perfect. It's an incredible film, and I'm glad I've grown to appreciate it because I didn't used to appreciate it. So you've obviously already figured out what number one is. And as I said before, any of the top five could probably be number one. But... Really, there could only be one answer for number one, and that's my neighbor Totoro. My neighbor Totoro, released in nineteen ninety eight, two sisters move to a country, move to the country with their father in order to be closer to their hospitalized mother, and discover the surrounding trees are inhabited by Totoros, magical spirits of the forest. When the youngest runs away from home, the older sister seeks help from the spinach to find her. This is the perfect Ghibli film. This is. This is a great entryway to Miyazaki, great entryway to anime, a great entryway to animated films, a great entryway to Miyazaki films, Ghibli films, a great entryway to films. I think it's it kind of represents what I like in a film, like this grown-up yet childish, fantastical yet grounded. The relationship between the sisters is adorable and like realistic. I mean, I don't, I'm not a girl and I don't, I don't have any sisters, but I see that and I believe it. The mother subplot is gentle yet heartbreaking, um, and you don't really find out about the mother. Really, you do, and then at the end, you do kind of little, little bits during the film, and then more at the end. And I, I love the film. I love the um, theme of child naivety. That uh, let me try and explain. Like something I really gravitate towards in films or seem to enjoy in films is kind of child in childlike innocence and a misunderstanding and naivety towards 
the world around them. So not quite understanding how serious things are or being able to understand more than adults do. So, you know, it's the same with like, I don't know, what's a like a big pop culture version of this, like Harry Potter, like the children have this wizarding world but the adults and the parents don't understand it. Um, it's, it's a big, it's a very common theme in lots of films. Like lots of films have done it. I think just this one does it the best, um, with the children finding the spirits and being able to magically grow a tree and fly around with the Totoro and get on a cat bus. And it's such a beautiful film. It's such a beautiful film. Um, like fun. Like it's it's a film that's actually quite sad and has a lot of difficult moments in it when you know when one of the sisters goes missing and all that sort of stuff and when the mother's you when you see the mother and you meet the mother and but yeah it's so funny it's such a fun film you become so attached to these characters and Miyazaki is able to storyboard slash write such in-depth and believable and grounded characters in such fantastical worlds and I genuinely don't know how he does it it's so impressive I I have books about Miyazaki I um and I have you know a poster above me right now that's Miyazaki like I love this guy's films he's my favorite filmmaker of all time and I just want to he's so impressive like I don't really I don't know how he does the things that he does he's so amazing at them yeah I'm just kind of gushing over him now I don't really know what to say I was gonna end this episode on kind of summarizing why I love his films but it's just you know, if you're a fan of Miyazaki films, you know why they're so amazing, and why how he's such a master at the art, and it's going to be so, you know, the film that's coming out this year, or has come out in Japan, it's probably going to be his last film, and we kind of all come to terms with the fact that The Wind Rises was his last film, but, you know, this is probably going to be his last film now, and it's sad, but we've got 12 films out of this guy, and he's written a few more, and he's done TV shows, he's done little mini-series, he's done all these things, he's done loads of manga, like, without sounding too cheesy, we are lucky to have Hayao Miyazaki in our lives, and have his films in our lives, and I'm grateful for his films, I'm so grateful for his films, they've given me access to Asian cinema, like, I, I think there's a maybe in the same way that maybe maybe Parasite was for some people you know winning an Oscar and becoming part of you know like everyone knows the film Parasite really I would think everyone knows the film Parasite or most people do who are interested at all in TV and film or you know are aware of the Oscars or whatever I think that film gave access to Asian cinema for a lot of people because I think there's a tendency for Western audiences not to engage with that sort of stuff and I think that's what kind of Miyazaki has done and Ghibli have done for me getting giving me a new perspective on not only filmmaking but a way of life a way of how um, how characters act who are from different parts of the world the different viewpoints their different views on war and environment and everything and that you know obviously it's not just Miyazaki films that you know they aren't the only Asian films I've seen or the only Japanese films I've seen but it just gives you a new perspective on it and I think it's important to have all these different kinds of perspectives especially when it's someone like Hayao Miyazaki who has such strong beliefs in similar things that I believe in like I am I don't know I I never really identifies anything in terms of like politically and I don't I, I I very rarely say you know I am this I am this. There's certain things that I believe, um, like, oh, I don't know why I'm going into this now, but, you know, I, I lean more to the left. Um, I don't vote certain ways. And I have certain viewpoints about certain things. Uh, and one of those is, like, anti-war. And, you know, I wouldn't... I don't know if I'd ever call myself a pacifist, but, you know, I, I really identify with that strong passion of anti-war and the pointlessness of it and the futility of it. Um... You know, environmentalism as well, although I'm, you know, it makes a hypocrite out of us all, you know, I, I have a car, I recycle, but I probably don't do it as well as I should do, 
um, I have we you know we have to throw out the bins every few days because we fill up the bin pretty quickly. Um, all these things, you know, I still care and want to impact the world positively. You know, I've recently been thinking about changes in career and what I want to do, and I think it's just been a really big week for me where I've been doing so much research about Miyazaki films and the themes that go into them and all that sort of stuff, and also. I watched the new David Attenborough series, the new Our Planet one. Um, I don't know, it's just been a big week, me thinking about the environment and maybe wanting to do something with my life that helps that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm kind of trying to explain the thoughts and feelings that I have that aren't fully formed yet, which is difficult. Um, But yeah, it just, these kind of films make you think about that. But they're also fun films. They're also films that make you laugh and make you cry and have childlike wonder and you know you don't have to engage with these themes if you don't want to when watching Miyazaki films you can just have a fun time you can watch you know Ashitoka ride a wolf through a forest and a big giant creature hatch from an egg in Nosca of the Valley of the Wind and shoot some people and blow up a bunch of insects you know you can just watch it and be entertained by it but, you know, there's some very deep and interesting themes going on here that, you know, I think we should all be aware of at least. And people should be shown these films, um, no matter what age. I think everyone can get something out of all these films. And that's all I'm going to say on Hayao Miyazaki. He is a legend. He is my favorite filmmaker. I hope I've done him justice with this uh, with, with this ranking. And this probably won't be the last episode I do on Miyazaki. I... I hope to, at some point this year, see his new film, which has changed names. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but it's changed names recently. I can't remember what it is, but I hope to see his film this year. I definitely will be talking about it. I'll probably do a whole episode on it if I do end up getting to see it. So thank you so much for listening. Please share, please rate, please do the things that you're meant to do with podcasts. Um, Follow me on Letterboxd, follow me on Twitter if you like. Um, I was going to say follow me on on threads, but... I haven't even been on threads since I downloaded it. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for listening and you'll hear me next time. Bye.